0: Express yourself through art, and show the world your heart Express yourself through art, and show the world your heart You're in the know with Esther and show the world your
1: heart and welcome you're listening to art on the air on WVLP 103.1fM and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1fM. This is our weekly program covering arts and arts events in Valparaiso and throughout Northwest Indiana. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City.
2: Aloha, everyone.
1: We're your hosts for Art in the Air. Our theme music you heard is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Underwriters for Art in the Air are Valparaiso University's Brower Museum, regional art patron Mary LeVan, and our landlord, Walt Breidinger of Paragon Investments. If you'd like to find out more about leasing space in this historic building, please give Walt a call, 219-462-5821. I'd like to thank them for their generous support. Thanks to Greg Kovach, WVLP's station manager, and Tom Maloney, Vice President, Radio Operations for Lakeshore Public Radio. Art in the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission arts project grant through South Shore Arts and is part of the National Endowment for the Arts. If you're interested in being a guest or sending us information about your arts, arts related event, or exhibit, please email us at art on the air, WVLP, at gmail.com. That's art on the air, WVLP, at gmail.com. Our program, along with all of our programs, are streaming live at WVLP.org. Art on the Air is rebroadcast on Monday at 5 p.m. Our shows are carried by Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, every Sunday at 7 p.m., and you can hear them at lakeshorepublicradio.org. Our entire show archive can be heard at our website, breck.com slash A-O-T-A. That's breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com slash A-O-T-A. And make sure to like us on our Facebook page, Art on the Air, WVLP. Art on the Air is always looking for financial support. We'd like to thank our current supporters. If you're looking to support Art on the Air and, of course, the WVLP station, we'd be happy to come part of the WVLP family anytime. Esther and I especially would invite you to become an underwriter of this program in particular. We have information on our website at breck.com slash AOTA. You can find out support information there or at wvlp.org slash support. So don't just be a WVLP and Art on the Air listener. Become a supporter or underwriter in whatever amount you're able to do so so we continue to bring you this great content and this great local programming. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. And you'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air and the whole WVLP family. Join the WVLP family today. And now in this segment of Art on the Air Spotlight, we have someone who's been here before, Captain Ambivalent. And he's a nerd rock singer, songwriter, superhero that's boldly battling the market forces of 2005. Well, anyway, he's got a special event coming up. And uh, unfortunately, it's going to be virtual because it's so hard to do that. But Captain Ambivalent, otherwise known as Dan Beamer, welcome to Art on the Air. Yay, thank you,
3: thank you. Aloha. Good to be here.
1: So, tell us uh, about what you've got coming up. Uh, you have a new uh, uh, adventure coming up that's going to be all virtual.
3: Yes, indeedy. So, um, basically, like like everybody else, uh, my live performance gigs kind of uh, disappeared. And um, so, uh, I'm based in Valpo in northwest Indiana, uh, but you're pitching a show for the Elgin Illinois Fringe Festival, but that's okay because it's online, so you can get it from anywhere. It'll be just like you're seeing me in Valpo. Uh, and uh, it it, uh, it will be a uh, it's a uh, a video show, and it's available for a 24-hour rental through the Elgin Fringe Festival uh, com website, and there'll be some live chat events along with it, and there's about 11 other artists that are doing very different work there, so there's a, a good variety. How long does it run? It runs. Uh, uh, it's running now until October fourth.
1: Okay, very good. And how do they find it? Where Where do they the website or how do they locate that?
3: ElginFringeFestival dot Okay. Or you can always check. No. Oh, oh, no.
2: How long is your performance on it?
3: Uh, Fifty two minutes. 52 and a half minutes.
2: Ooh, wow! <laughs> like it's a real, it's a big show. Great. Yes,
3: it's a full show. Yeah. There's a. It's a. All the tickets are five dollars. There's also a, a festival pass. Um, to see multiple shows, and I don't know the details on that, but they'll be on the website.
1: Now you have several of your characters that will be well, in this. Congratulations! Wow. Your character. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of the yeah. characters other than Captain Ambivalent that will be there.
3: So yeah, so the so doing it virtually it was an opportunity to uh, kind of uh, do things a little bit differently. So maybe about a third of the show is kind of like seeing a live Captain Ambivalent uh, show, except that there could be maybe some backup singers and dancers who are everybody's me um, and then we sort of go off on a, uh, a journey on a toy train to a bunch of different locations and there's a total I think of 12 different characters uh, that you will meet through the course of the show. They're all all me and my costume collection.
1: You you have a sample of those uh, that you've uh, supplied for us so let's take a listen to that. Captain Ambivalent at his In Denial show at the Elgin Friends Festival.
3: In a socially distant world beset by evil, one singing superhero has the courage and the privilege to stay home and play with toys. You might call me Captain i and then again you might not. Hey, wanna play G.I. Joe's? Then again you might not. Hey, wanna play Dinosaurs? With his imaginary friends, Buford P. Wallaby. The House of Memories is old, as walls calls full of holes. Geese Lemay. I am Zimel. Sexy man, in your life and more. Hey everybody, let's do
0: the badass walk.
3: Whatever <laughs> life will throw my way, I'll <laughs> greet it with a smile. Count the under the is Planet. Planet. in denial. How do we get there? Well. First, you close your eyes, and then you go on the internet.
1: And that was Captain Ambivalent in denial. That you can hear that at the Elgin Fringe Festival.
2: So, Captain, what is next? We've got the Fringe <laughs> Festival on its way. What are you working on now?
3: Um, I'm doing. Th- I'm taking things one step at a time. This is the. <laughs> this is the, my big focus. Uh, the past uh, like seven weeks have been very intensive on this, and then you know. We'll just have to see what.
2: But you're really, now you're comfortable with this online. So maybe we can collaborate.
3: Yeah. So maybe I'll, I'll probably be looking at doing some more video things now that I finally had my studio set up to be able to handle it. So, uh, uh, when, the, when the pandemic first started, I was really kind of unprepared. I had only recorded things for albums and recorded music and I wasn't set up to record live or record video. And now I am. So who knows what's going to come next?
2: Well, the last time we spoke, you said you were doing some more writing. Uh, did that writing include any more songs? Is there going to be another album soon?
3: Uh, yes, uh, there should be. There should be another album soon. Um, I was uh, working on sprucing up a, a musical I worked I worked on in college to be able to pitch, and actually, one song from that opens up this virtual show. The End of oh, the show.
2: excellent!
1: Very good. Well, why don't you tell our audience one more time how they can find you on the uh, Elgin Film Festival, and uh, what to expect.
3: Okay. Uh, ElginFringeFestival.com or you can always CaptainAmbivalent.com is my my place. Uh, you can expect a whole bunch of funny songs sung by uh, a bunch of different funny characters and some surreal absurdism. Uh, it'll be just pure joy.
1: <laughs> Excellent. maybe Bowie, too. Well, there we are. We have Captain Ambivalent here on uh, Art in the Air Spotlight. Thank you once again for being on Art in the Air. And uh, we look forward to it. It's currently running through uh, October 4th. Thanks again.
2: Thank you. Excellent. Thank you.
1: And we'd like to welcome to Art on the Air, uh, a wonderful company offering custom artwork, promotional personal projects, multimedia radio artwork, custom traditional art from logos to flash art, everything like that. Uh, And that's our guest, Marco Salazar. Welcome to Art on the Air.
0: Hello. Aloha. (laughs)
1: hola well Marco what we <laughs> want to first ask about is kind of your background how you where you grew up your whole educational thing and I always like to say from where you were to where you are now so tell us a little about Marco
4: um, I will, I'm born and raised here in East Chicago my hometown um, I went to Holy Trinity school I ended up going to Bishop Knoll uh, I took private uh, art classes when I was in seventh grade uh, my teacher and one of the parent-teacher conferences, told my mother that I um, I liked to draw a lot and I was really good at it. She used to always have me do the decorations in the classroom. So my mother found a lady in town, uh, Miss Radich, if I could throw her name out there. Uh, She was a retired art teacher from, I believe she taught at the Art Institute of Chicago. And she taught in her basement a couple days out of the week. And she taught uh, high school and college students that were advanced And she didn't want to take me because I was only um, 11 years old in seventh grade. But um, my mother presented her with my portfolio of drawings and sketches and colorings. And uh, she made an exception and she took me in. And uh, I got my first real uh, exposure to the fundamentals of art and coloring and painting and all those lovely things. And uh, I had my first gallery show when I was 12 at the, which is now South Shore Arts, but back then it was the Indiana Arts Association. So I've been painting since then. I've got, uh, I was awarded some scholarships to go to uh, art school, um, my senior year of school. Uh, I had to decline those because at the time I had a girlfriend. Uh, my girlfriend at the time became pregnant, so I had to put that aspirations on hold, and I enlisted into the U.S. Army. And served in Desert Storm and um, got an honorable discharge and was able to hit the floor running at the next semester for art school. So I ended up going to the Art Institute of Chicago, American Academy of Art, and uh, got a degree in uh, Columbia College in graphic design and film and video.
1: Well, first of all, thank you for your service. Appreciate that. And uh, yeah. wow, what a story and everything like that. So uh, tell us a little bit about your art. Uh, what you, what kind of art do you do? What your mediums are?
4: Um, I kind of dabble in a wide range of mediums. Uh, when I was coming up uh, very young, I used to love comic books and cartoons, and that kind of got me into the whole animation part. So when I did go to Columbia College, I did do... Uh, a small internship with Warner Brothers working on a Tiny Toons cartoon. Um, So I used to do animation. And then at the time, growing up as a teenager, the whole hip-hop graffiti art movement was well on its way. So I dabbled in large-scale Murals and applications, all legal by the way, uh, commissions and, and whatnot on local businesses and stuff. So, um, and then uh, taking my traditional uh, formal art training with uh, Miss Radich in that school, uh, I had a very keen sense of portraiture. So, uh, I just used to dabble in pen and ink and any kind of mediums I can really get a hold of uh, watercolor, color pencil painting, oil, acrylic, uh, aerosol, ketchup and mustard, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> no, yeah. I just, uh, like to experiment with different things. And, uh, I know there's artists that are, are well-versed in, in particular mediums. And I, I just like to expand my horizons and kind of, uh, work in different things. And as I got older, uh, I got into the automotive field and airbrushing. I opened up a store, uh, at the local mall here in Hammond, Indiana, which is now, uh, it, it was raised back a couple of years ago, Woodmar Mall. I uh, opened up a T-shirt shop there when I was 21 uh, doing airbrushing. Uh, it was called airtime airbrushing, if anybody remembers that. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, I remember a story you told me, and maybe um, you can expand on it, um, on that thing that you just said, totally legal. Wasn't it in your neighborhood that... Um, the owners of in the alleyway, they let you paint their garage doors. Can you talk a bit about that? That was like a fabulous offer. Offer.
4: Yeah, I mean, we were always looking, I, and, and when I say we, I, I hung around with uh, fellow artists growing up, uh, graffiti artists, and we, we ran together like the crew, and whenever we got space, uh, public space to put up murals. I mean we always seized on it and especially if we can make a couple dollars from it, you know from local businesses uh, that would help us restock on spray paint and uh, cans of uh, uh, You know gallons of paint and stuff like that. So yeah, we got kind of prolific in the area as far as doing you know local car lots and Mom-and-pop stores and neighborhood stores like that. So yeah, that was that that, that kind of gave me the whole entrepreneur insight of uh, you know uh, making a living on what I do.
2: I remember also in that conversation that we had, and this was I don't know like eight years ago. Mm-hmm. I re- and it stuck in my mind completely that um, graffiti is genuine folk art, and Absolutely. so taking so taking that though like and I think it was probably. Um, in the mid 80s, because I, I was working in, a, in an art industry there. And I, that's kind of when graffiti got co-opted, sort of mainstream. So how did that affect all of you? And I mean, like the true graffiti artists.
4: Yeah, well, you know, it get, like I referenced before, uh, graffiti art, um, it's, it's a global phenomenon now. Uh, it's used by the fashion industry, the music industry, and and advertising and marketing and media companies. Uh, but it's, it's born here in the United States. It's as uh, it American as apple pie and jazz and the blues. Um, and when it started hitting the commercial scene, uh, we kind of rode with it. So we picked up commission works, working for film companies, doing background sets and and local theme parks, we uh, we did the Batman ride at, at Six Flags Great America. I mean, we were teenagers. We're doing the backdrops to those scenes. And, and I mean, it was just overwhelming. We felt like rock stars. So yeah, uh, we kind of went with the flow and try to capitalize with it, you know.
2: And so then what happened afterwards though? Is there a point where that changed? Because it's still so prevalent.
4: Yeah, I mean, um, the my fellow, my fellow colleagues that I grew up painting with, I mean, everybody went to their own uh, different realms. I, I have a buddy of mine who still does prop and set design in Chicago. Uh, I have another buddy who does large format uh, advertising uh, outdoors. You know, he does uh, large scale murals and stuff. And and we all still uh, are in the industry and we're all uh, living through our art. And this is what we do for a living. And um, that's one thing that uh, I'm, I'm happy and proud to say.
1: The question I have, Marco, is uh, with the uh, pandemic, how's that affected you uh, not only uh, – Personally, but also with your art and uh, studio and your operations and
4: everything. Um, I have a closed studio, so um, whatever I work on commission work, um, I I I either mail them, deliver them, or even if I do my uh, large scale applications, I'm usually doing it on site, maybe with another helper. Um, So I'm never really engaging with the public in close proximity. Um, I really never had my place open to the public. Um, So I I, it really doesn't affect me. And then uh, nowadays I'm doing a lot of digital illustration. So that's mainly, uh, you know, through email or uh, Dropbox where they can, uh, you know, they can download the high resolution images that I work on. And I and then I I do the uh, the financial aspect. I use like, you know, uh, PayPal and things like that. So I never really have to come in direct contact with anyone. Do you
1: ever want to have like a public studio? Would you like to do that sometime?
4: Um. Yes and no. I I I have done that in the past. I've I've had uh, a retail studios where people can walk in and and check out my work and maybe order commissions and things like that. But in the age that we live in now, I mean, uh, brick and mortar. I mean, it's really it, it, that's that's the main uh, uh that's the main industry that really took the hit because you can't really house or have people. Uh, Here, So I I utilize kind of like the digital age where I I use my website, I use uh, digital marketing and things like that, social media, and I do uh, pick up commissions and and, uh, uh, jobs through that where I don't really need to uh, engage with people personally. You know, I I am a people person and I I have, uh, I've taught uh, junior high art for eight years and uh, I've, uh, I took a leave about a year ago. So that's one of the things I really do miss is engaging uh, uh, students I, I had uh, I used to teach seniors I used to teach uh, kids I did the wine and canvas thing I did the bruise and brushes and pizza That's and paint for the art. kids yeah, yeah. so th- those things I, I I do miss I do miss the one-on-one interaction with students uh, but aside from that as far as my 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 creative time, I really don't engage with uh, with visitors too much, which is okay
2: so, <laughs> well. So I know you formed the United Cultural Arts Association. Is that still is that still going on?
4: That was uh, early in 2000s um, with uh, the, uh, my my group of fellow artists that uh, we grew up painting. That was one of our ways of kind of going uh, giving back to the community. So we formed this non for profit 501c3 organization, and we used it to sponsor uh, mural projects with the local schools. Um, and and we did that for a couple of years, you know. But again, you know, uh, we each were pulling in different directions, so uh, we, we kind of disbanded uh, in the early 2000s. Yeah.
2: So what project are you on now? Do you have any outdoor murals on?
4: I, I I'm working closely with my uh, with my mayor here in town. They they've been very supportive of of public art. Uh, they have art throughout the city. And uh, they they not only commission uh, national artists to come and do installations in the local parks, but um, they kind of tap me for um, different projects, um, large scale projects. Uh, Several years ago, I I did a big mural uh, outside of Ameristar Casino by what is known as George Park Beach here in East Chicago. It's uh, slated to be one of the largest outdoor murals in North America. Um, it's on the side of one of the exit ramps coming off of Klein Avenue to the casino. Uh, I also painted, uh, the ramps leading over to, uh, to the beach, uh, they're known as wayfinding graphics. So they are these big colorful geometric shapes that they say lakefront and have arrows pointing so that you can follow the direction to the. To the mural, I mean, to the to the beach, and then uh, now I'm um, we we're working on a project with uh, the mayor. They're renovating uh, here the local stadium, baseball stadium, uh, which is Block Stadium. Uh, one of our local athletic heroes is Mr. Kenny Lofton, who is in the Cleveland Indian Hall of Fame in, in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, he's from Chicago, and uh, it's known as uh, Kenny Lofton Field. So what I'm doing is I'm doing a big, huge mural that's endorsed by the Major League Baseball um, with his image on there and has all his stats and kind of give the young youth who are playing baseball kind of a motivation on, to strive for the highest, uh, the highest field, which is Major League Baseball.
1: Tell us about being a, was a Grumbacher uh, artist. What's involved in that?
4: Uh Grumbacher artist, uh, Grumbacher is a manufacturer of art supplies, uh, paints and brushes, and uh, mainly on the academic level. So uh, one of the main suppliers is Michael's uh, uh, Craft Stores, which I, I taught uh, the uh, paint painting workshops uh, here in Highland, Indiana at the Michaels there. Uh, so I had to get certified as a paint instructor in order to uh, offer the workshops there. Uh, so uh, I still maintain that certification as a Grumbacher uh, pain instructor.
1: And uh, you talked about the uh, middle school, junior high level. Uh, what kind of projects did you do with them?
4: Um, that was a year long um, uh, uh, curriculum that was based on the standards of uh, brought on by the Indiana uh, Board of Education. Um, just teaching fundamentals. Uh, uh, design, composition, uh, the color theory, different things, and, and it's it's very ironic that that we we mentioned that because when I was one of my first art shows uh, that I submitted my oil paintings uh, was in seventh grade uh, was a uh, um, a junior high art contest which was sponsored by the uh, South Shore Arts at the time, and uh, when we when they do did have the art gallery show. Uh, my mother was so proud. She's my greatest supporter. She's my greatest fan. She's the one who pushed me when I I was very young to pursue the art. Um, She was so ecstatic. She got me dressed in my Sunday's best, and we went as a family. And we went to the show, and we did two rounds in the gallery, and we could not find my paintings. I mean, there was junior high artwork um, such as watercolors and papier-mâché sculptures and things like that. But uh, my my oil paintings were nowhere to be found. Uh, They ended up uh, not being exhibited, and they were stored in one of the utility rooms next to the boiler and and the furnace, which (laughs) enraged my mother. Uh, She had some kind words with the manager that day. Uh, But the irony on that is that I became an art teacher. Um, I took my students to participate in the, which is now the junior high tri-county art show. Um, we were the only uh, school out of East Chicago to be selected to exhibit. Um, I had four students and out of four students, two of them took awards and prizes. So that was, um, that was like a 360 for me. I, I was very gratified with that.
2: So could you take a moment just to tell people where they can see your art? I know you have merch, do you still have t-shirts and all the stuff that you used to have? Um, t-shirts available?
4: Absolutely. Well, I I uh I dabble a lot in uh different things. Uh, I I I love putting my artwork where they're practical and functioning and I have masks and t-shirts and things like that. And uh I have them on uh my virtual store uh which can be found at marcoart.net. Great. Thank you. Yeah.
2: I know. I love the. I love my T-shirt.
4: <laughs> you're welcome.
2: You're wearing, you're wearing the one that I have right now. Yeah, I'm
4: wearing an old one. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Tell us about some of the art. Now, I know our audience can't see it because it's a radio show, but tell us some about the art in the background. I noticed that one, uh, like a vocalist and everything, and that's like how do you do that. What's that done on wood? Or Explain that.
4: Uh, that's different uh, Different mediums. Uh, the one you're referring to is a life-size uh, wooden cutout of Selena Quintanilla, which is the Queen of yeah. Tejano music. Um, I, I had a chance to um, see her when she was alive, and she's from the same part of Texas that my family was. And, and so, you know, I, I, um, I paid reverence and made a life-size cutout of her. Um, that is uh, close to six feet tall and it's illuminated Mm -hmm. from behind. Um, but that is painted, um, with aerosols and airbrush, uh, the painting to which would be my right, which is a black, uh, canvas, uh, which depicts the, uh, day of the dead. Uh, that one there is painted in acrylic. The one next to it is painted in enamel and pinstripe. I do pinstriping, automotive pinstriping. And then I have a couple of oil paintings back there too. So uh, th- th- I've got my whole portfolio on my website that people can feel free to look at.
1: And you do take commissions?
4: Absolutely, yes, I do.
1: Oh, great. Yes,
5: I do. So
2: do you have time? Do you have time for your personal work? Because I've noticed that you know your commission list is is huge, and the murals I know take a lot of time. Do you are you able just to approach a canvas and just do something that is just inspired by
4: you? I like I like painting in series, so um, I, I don't know. You can kind of see back here. I, I usually put up like three or four canvases, and I paint them periodically in stages. So I'll do all the backgrounds on all five canvases at once. Then I'll do the mid ground on all five canvases at once, and then I'll do the foreground on all the canvases at once. So this way, I have a series. So once I have the series, um, if we if I have an exhibition or a show or I, I set them up as a, as a set. Like all of these here are parts of a set. These are the, the lonely ones that got left behind. Uh, those are the <laughs> ones that I got left. So I, I hold on to those and, and uh, I, I display them here at my shop. And, and, and different um, series, I usually have different mediums. I usually have different themes. I usually have different. There's no two uh, sets that look the same. They're all different
2: are they mixed? Do you stick with one medium when you're doing that or do you mix? Does the
4: spray paint no. work its way into, into No, it? I usually stay within uh, I, the, the, uh, the medium. So if it's an oil painting, I usually strictly stick to oil. If it's acrylic or I usually stay with that. Uh, the only ones that kind of intermix are the aerosolics, which are like um, spray paint and airbrush, things like that, where they kind of have the same texture, the same feel, the same kind of... Uh, you know, the theme to it.
1: Do you like airbrushing better than uh, using an aerosol can because you have much better control?
4: No, I've... Um, see, I'm kind of like one of those perfectionists where I, I'm a compulsive compulsive <laughs> where that if I pick up a medium, I I practice day and night until, you know, I, I, I study works of other artists that use that medium and I want to get just as good as they can get because, uh, you know, everybody puts on their pants the same way in my eyes <laughs> and I figured you know if, if, I, if I become if I study the technicalities of it and become a little bit the, the disciplines I can kind of get to the mastery of them so um, I, I've gotten into pinstriping I got into airbrushing when I was when I had my store uh, doing the airbrushing and that's all I did was airbrushing so I would run into people and they would say oh you're the airbrush guy and that would burn me up you know <laughs> oh you're the t-shirt guy oh that would burn me up So I would leave the airbrush alone and focus on something else. So the spray can, I I can do pretty much very close to what I can do with an airbrush with a spray can.
2: I You know, and like I told you also, it was like watching a dancer perform when you're, because you get so, I mean, you are so laser focused on what you're doing. And it's just beautiful to watch you move as you're working because you're, you're completely unaware of anybody else. You're just like totally one with your material, and it was like watching a dancer.
4: Well, thank you, thank you very much. One of those uh, things that that helped discipline with that was uh, when I was in college, uh, I answered a a, a call for uh, a caricature and airbrush artist uh, for a company called fazen Arts, which owns all the novelty concessions and all the Six Flags. So if you go to a Six Flags over Dallas, or if you go Six Flags in St. Louis, or even here in Gurney, you're gonna see uh, the the, the t-shirt booth, you know, with Billy Love Sue and the heart design, which is airbrushed. And right next to it, you're gonna see the caricature artist drawing uh, people in the cartoons. And um, when I went, they were looking for either a caricature artist or an airbrush artist. But again, I used to love to experiment on different techniques, on different, on different mediums. I got hired to do both. So um, I worked at Six Flags in Gurney for a summer, and then they sent me to, which was the brand new casino at the time, Excalibur Casino in Las Vegas. So I got to work there. I lived in Vegas for about a uh, little under three years. But you have to draw in front of people you know i had people standing <laughs> crowds of people standing over my shoulder as i drew um and at first it was so nerve-wracking i mean it was hard to hold my pencil because my hands were so sweaty all the time but as as i kind of perfected the techniques i got more comfortable and next thing you know they were just shapes behind me so i i went when i when i do things like that uh I'm able to kind of block that out and kind of focus. And, and I kind of got into uh, painting live. I did live painting. Well, I did one with you when we did the car. I know. But uh, I, know. I, I I would do stuff for uh, local music festivals. We did the, the the Lakefront Fest here in Hammond. We did uh, some stuff for Lollapalooza where we would just paint at the beginning of a band's concert. And when we're done, the band would throw up their guitars and drumsticks and we would throw up our spray cans because we were done. And uh, so that's one thing I miss.
1: So, Marco, tell us what you have planned for the future and also remind our audience how to get in touch with you.
4: Uh, Well, yeah, I have some uh, outdoor uh, public art pieces that I'm looking at doing uh, here in the city of Chicago. Uh, One is a Major League Baseball and another one is painting some water tanks, 45 foot tall water tanks, uh, depicting local athletes, basketball players endorsed by the NBA. Um, anybody wants to see any of my work, I, you can find me online at marcoart.net, M-A-R-C-O-A-R-T dot
1: Okay, well, thank you so much. It's Marco Salazar, uh, artist from East Chicago, based uh, doing custom artwork, promotional projects, uh, anything you want, get a hold of Marco. Thank you for being on Art on the Air. Thank
2: you. Thank you, Marco. Thank you.
1: You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP, 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM. And now a very special musical treat during the pandemic from Billy and Renee Foster, their new song called Virus. Virus. Now on Art in the Air, we feature Jenny Takis, who's in Valparaiso. She's driven with a deep connection to nature, a desire to relay her vision in the most direct manner possible. And she grew up in Chicago, but has a great story about how she got into painting. Welcome to the show, Jenny.
6: Thank Hello. you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Well, our audience would like to hear a little bit about you, or your journey from everything, like from where you grew up, so where you were to where you are now, and even things outside of art.
6: Okay. Well, I grew up in Chicago. Uh, then we moved in uh, to Oak Lawn, but always had a connection to the Indiana Dunes because uh, my grandparents owned property, just land in Beverly Shores. So as kids, we used to come out and parents would have picnics and we climbed the dunes and always loved it here. So eventually, my parents decided to build in Beverly Shores. So that's why I got out here to Indiana, but always loved uh, nature and had a friend who had a house. Grandparents' house out in um, Westville, which is pretty close to Valpo, but in Chicago it seemed like a long way. And I always loved going out there and just exploring. And so I'm more connected to nature than like uh, the cities. Eventually, ended up in uh, Munster, Valparaiso, and uh, actually I moved to Miller recently. Oh. Wow, very good. It's a very nice artist community. It is, and I, I can see the lake right here. I'm like across the street from the lake. So I never thought I'd be this close to the water, but you can do it in Miller. So.
1: You know, outside of your art, Jenny, what else did you do? You were, I, I think, uh, worked in banking of some kind?
6: Yeah, yeah, I, I was a loan officer, a mortgage loan officer for 23 years. here. Oh, okay. With Bank. You're- yeah, well, I started painting... Uh, Well, I was always drawing. I'm probably going to date myself. I remember they used to get the newspapers and have all those illustrations, so I would copy those as a kid, so I loved doing that. And then I paint a little bit in my teens and uh, into the my 20s, and then for some reason I just didn't think I had talent. (laughs) So I quit doing it for a while until my son came along, and then I started drawing little cartoon characters and things for him, and then people said, well, these are really good. I didn't know you could draw. And then from there, it was just like- When did you start
2: including nature in what you were drawing? And what were those first materials that you used for your sketching? Was it graphite? Was it- Yeah,
6: Uh, pencils. And then eventually I did go into, I was very much into pastels. So I did a lot of pastel painting and I worked myself up to the oils, which are nice and forgiving. I did watercolor too, I've done them all.
2: Well, but, uh, you said that like experimentation is one of the most rewarding parts of painting. Can you
6: explain what experimenting consists for you? Uh, I just know? trying different techniques and styles as much as possible. You're, you never know what you're going to be drawn to. So you've got to really you can you can go to school or you can learn all you can uh, and then you've got to apply it. And then eventually your own vision, tech, you know, your style will come through eventually. It takes a while. So you're but, mostly you're mostly doing oils, but do you have another
2: medium that you
6: like to balance that with, or? Well, I do have uh, lots of pastels sitting around in paper. I kind of got away from it because framing was such a uh, difficult thing. <laughs> and I and I do love the fact now because I paint with a knife many times, so getting it nice and thick, and oil's the way to go with that.
2: Yeah, right. your most yeah. recent ones are like that, using the palette knife. It seems yeah. almost
6: exclusively. Right. I, I really like that. I'd like to even get it thicker, but not that.
1: You recently had an exhibit at Chesterton Arts Center. Uh, tell us a little bit about that.
6: Well, I think I had over thirty-five paintings. I went to both galleries. We had a really nice opening. Uh, we had quite a nice turnout, I think, and I got a lot of feedback on my paintings. Uh, I put it in the, the little a book out there to say. You know, what was your favorite painting? Not that I would paint to, there like, I just want an idea what people are attracted to. What were they attracted to? A variety. There was no, <laughs> <They wasn't laughs> nothing really stood out like that was the painting. But um, so I felt like it was good. I'd made sales before, during, and now I've got from the show, people um, have given me a few commissions to do yes. so,
2: Oh, wonderful.
6: Making.
1: We would like to explore how How COVID-19 has affected you, Jenny. Um, uh, Some artists actually embrace it, and it's a great thing. And some of them, it's been a difficult thing and everything. So tell us how it's uh, affected you and maybe what you're looking forward to after the pandemic has passed.
6: Yeah, well, you know, being an artist is solitary anyway. Most of your art is done solo. So, um, though I do have a group I go out to, which I maybe like to talk, my plein air group that we meet and go out to. But it's, um, so, you know, it really hasn't changed that much for me. What I have found out is people are home more and they're looking at their walls more. And uh, I think sales are good for that reason. They're like, you know, we really need something here. So I think they're decorating. And um, online business hasn't stopped people. The galleries probably do have a little... You know, I had a problem getting people into the store, but um, it really hasn't affected me that much. And I, I think sales have been have been good. And we do have a group that we meet. It's our um, Jundland Plain Air Painters, and we have started meeting again. But we're separating, of course, when we paint and when we do our critiques. We're away from each other, so we're socially distancing.
1: Well, we appreciate you being on Art in the Air. That's Jenny Takis. You can find her on TakisArtStudio.com or on Facebook in the same way. Uh, You can also get in touch with her, uh, with her eating things. Jenny is uh, driven by her deep connection with nature and desire to rely on her vision in the most direct way possible. Jenny, thank you so much for being on Art on the Air. We really appreciate it.
6: Thank you. Thank you very much for having me.
1: You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP, 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM. I'd like to welcome you. to Art on the Air, Adam Seltzer, who's an author who does all kinds of neat stuff. He's a historian, novelist, he's published over 20 books, but he's also, most importantly, a tour guide. and done that for more than a decade, it takes you all through. He's been on the History Channel, Travel Channel, and done shows like American Ripper, Mu- uh, Mystery at the Museum, and more. Welcome to the show, Adam. Hey,
5: good
1: to be here. Well, we'd like to ask you, first of all, about your own personal journey, how you got from, well, where you were to where you are now, where you grew up and all that.
5: I grew up in Iowa where we're so by God stubborn we can stand touching noses for a week at a time and never see eye to eye.
1: Good old and Music Man.
5: <laughs> I, if you want Music Man references, I am locked and loaded. Man. I, can, I can do this all day. You
1: got to remember, um, I'm a musical theater director, so I know most of those references. <laughs>
5: okay. Excellent. see how many I can work in over the course of an interview. Uh, after doing high school and college in Georgia, I moved to Chicago right after college. Got a job with one of the tour companies and since then, I've bounced around to several others based on whoever would micromanage me the least. So a lot of companies have have their outlines ready to go. They want you to follow them, whether they're accurate or not, whether you think they're remotely interesting or not. Um, So I bounced around between a few and now I mostly work for myself. In the era that we have now, I've mostly been doing cemetery tours, but cemeteries aren't allowing groups this year for obvious reasons. They don't want to have more people to add too soon. (laughs) <laughs> so I switched uh, in March I switched everything over to virtual tours and I found out really there's a whole world of people out there who would love to come on a Chicago tour but they're nowhere near Chicago. And so now they can come on my tours from wherever they are. And I've been getting, uh have had a really good response to it. It's been a lot of fun.
1: Where can they see your virtual tours? I mean, where, online, where can they?
5: It's it's all done on the Mysterious Chicago Facebook page. So uh, facebook.com slash Mysterious Chicago. Every morning at 10 o'clock, I do a mini tour where I just uh, pick one location and walk around it a little bit for five or 10 minutes. Then at least twice a week, we do a full length tour. Tonight is one called Health Scares in History, which is a Graceland Cemetery tour. That's all about, our various caldera waves in the 1918 pandemic and Victorian causes of death. Then this Sunday is a presentation on unsolved mysteries in Chicago. Next Thursday is uh, true crime stories from Chicago cemeteries. And then I think next Sunday I'll be doing an ar- a virtual architectural boat tour. Excellent. Do you have any
1: improv experience or uh, background in that, uh, training? Like, Because, I mean, a lot of the um, stuff you're
5: doing sounds like that would be... yeah, very theatrical. Yeah, very it's, theatrical. It, it co- it's, um, I did some theater when I was a kid. Nothing really, I would say, formal training. But it is a kind of a similar skill set. And particularly in... I did have to hone my improv skills quite a bit running bus tours and boat tours because you have to change up a lot just based on the traffic or how fast the various captains of the ship are going. <laughs>
1: Are you planning any new tour type things? I mean, you're doing it seems like you're churning out stuff all the time. So you think you might do something, say, outside of Chicago?
5: Uh, You know, I also work in New York. Usually I'm there a couple of months a year. Uh, Mostly what what I do there is take school groups around. We go to Broadway shows and the Statue of Liberty and all the stuff small town schools would take a school group to New York for. But then in uh, off days, I run historical walking tours there as well. So we have branched out some. We're also doing a thing about once a month called virtual time travel pub crawls. So I thought it would be fun to do a virtual pub crawl. Then I realized, hey, we're not bound by time or space. We can go to, we can go to bars in, that haven't existed in 300 years.
2: And so, so what brings that? So how did it actually all come about? So did the tour company seek you out? Did you seek out the tour company initially?
5: I answered an ad on Craigslist initially. <laughs> <laughs> but then I uh, started doing research to uh, make sure I was getting the stories right. The ones they had taught me, some of them didn't quite seem accurate. So uh, then I found out I had kind of a knack for finding new information about old stories and eventually found more and more stories to talk about that were outside the purview of that company. And now I've done, now I found myself writing books, uh, coming up with a couple of new tours every month, building up a really large uh, section, a really large uh, file of stories still to be told too.
2: So I guess research from one project might lead to the next
5: all the time i'll be i'll be in the microfilm room looking over a newspaper and then there'll be a whole other article about some murder that everybody forgot about uh, over in the next column all the time some of my best stories i found while looking for something else
1: i see in your bio there's a a star wars character how did that happen yeah. and what is it <laughs>
5: Uh, in one of the books, Lost Stars by Claudia Gray, there's a, ca- a character named Ron Dom, Captain Ron Dom. He's a flunky aboard Darth Vader's Star Destroyer. Uh, and he's named after my wife, Ronnie, and me. By, uh, Claudia Gray a friend of ours. <laughs> but that, that's what's going on my tombstone. There
1: you go. Very good. Well, you're also an author, so tell us a little bit about the, the books you've written.
5: That's, that's really how I got my start, and I think it's what made me attractive to the tour companies to start with, is that I had a, a young adult novel published by Random House. Um, for most of my twenties, I was working in the, as a young adult novelist, uh, for the, for most of my living, really. Um, I don't really do that too much anymore, but I got sidetracked doing all of these, uh, Chicago history books and occasionally books about other weird historical topics that they'd asked me to research.
1: Are those books available like on Amazon or somewhere? Like uh,
5: that? Uh, yeah. Most, most of them you can still get on Amazon. Some of them are out of print in print now, but the eBooks are usually still surviving.
2: What do you um? What do you research for pleasure, or is it all? No, it's all. It's
5: all all pleasure. Well, you know, but
2: but it's like when you're researching for a project, it's both exciting and frustrating. But and and so, but do you have other areas that you're interested other than what you? I mean, you have like twenty. Oh, oh sure. On. You know, I,
5: I mean, I mean, I've I've never written a book about Bob Dylan, but I've read a million of them. I've never, I, you know, I don't think the world needs a book about the Beatles by me, but I'll read any of them. Uh, I'll I'll read pretty much any rock and roll book, really.
2: Yeah, because your writing is so interesting, as well, and and um, your tours too add so much humor to it. So I I was compelled to read just those excerpts about out of all of them. And while I and while I was doing that, I found all that music that you have out there.
5: Uh, some it's of that's not, me, and some of it's not. There's there's more than one Adam Seltzer out there. There's me, and there's a a guy in Portland who also does music. And we've been we've been uh the two of us have teamed up to try to get Spotify to separate our stuff better. But it's a long process. But he's a, he's a nice guy.
2: Which one is you? Are you the one that
5: uh... I, I, I'm the Chicago one. Well, as long as you
1: get the royalty checks, I guess it'd be okay, you know, that way.
5: I got one of his royalty checks one time.
1: (laughs) So when you approach something new, like a new subject to do that, how do you you go about that, Uh, researching it and figure out? Because, you know, a lot of this stuff is not in printed books.
5: Right. A lot of it. My first step is usually newspaper archives. Uh, That's where I'm most likely to find an actual interesting anecdote about someone like most most of what I do these days has been related to cemetery tours. I'm doing a new who's who book for Graceland Cemetery here in Chicago, and I can look up like old town records and stuff that will tell me what they owned but I want to know what they were like. I want to like find an anecdote about them telling a joke or something. And you're more likely to find that in newspaper archives, or sometimes you can even find their diaries are still in a library someplace.
1: Okay, very good. And I wonder if you find like if people that can give you oral history as a a source also.
5: Not that often for people who are long gone. Most of the people I research don't have uh, are out of living memory at this point. So you'll get like family stories that are three or four generations of campfire stories. They're not necessarily more reliable than you'd find anywhere else.
1: Now you also accessible on Facebook and they can find your information there.
5: Yeah. Just the the mysterious Chicago Facebook is the place to be these days. Okay. That's where we just, we hang out on a morning mini tour every day. A lot of, you know, the regular crowd shuffles in. AstonishingChicago.com,
1: that's uh, one of yours yeah, also. of that,
5: that's kind of like my uh, my online business card, really. If you go to AdamChicago.com, it'll lead you to the Astonishing Chicago page, which lists all of my upcoming tours.
2: So were there any cases where you went into investigative mode thinking, like, for one way, and then it turned out to be the complete opposite of what you thought going into it? Like, you started out with a his, what was a historical fact, and it turned out to be...
5: Oh, that um, happens all the, that um, happens all the that happens all the time. Uh, probably the most famous example is uh, people love to say that H.H. Holmes killed hundreds of people in this hotel during the World's Fair. He didn't even have a hotel. He said he was going to add a hotel to his building, but he never actually finished it or anything.
1: Tell us about uh, your involvement with History Channel and Travel Channel and how that uh,
5: how did that happen? Uh, and do you still do uh, that? The they contact me. I've, I've got a couple coming out, I think, in the next couple of years. And it's just, it's just kind of random. I'll randomly get an email saying they need somebody to be a talking head. Uh, sometimes it's a case that I know nothing about. And that's another thing where, uh, it, where being a writer and whatever improv skills I have come up, because they'll kind of give me a line and I'll have to feed it back to them three or four different ways. And I'll, I'll always research the case ahead of time so I know what I'm talking about by the time we start filming. Or often they'll call me to consult about, uh, H.H. Holmes stuff or Chicago stuff. And I'm not necessarily going to tell them what they want to hear. They want me to back up whatever they think is happening. Let me the ghost shows and say, we want like the name and the address of this woman here who hanged herself from the ceiling in 1963. And I'll find out, uh, well, that didn't happen. The woman who lived there in 1963 is still alive. That doesn't necessarily stop me from doing the show.
1: Do you ever think no. about doing te- other t- types of television locally? I mean, like uh, hitting the stations?
5: Uh, if, if they ask
1: me to, I will. It's not something I pursue
5: normally. So what are you working on now? Right now, now, other than doing two or three tours a week, plus a miniature one every day, that's kind of keeping me as busy as it can be right now. Uh, But I'm also finishing up the Graceland Cemetery book. And after that, I don't know what big project I'll do next. The tours have been keeping me, um, the whole idea of starting to do virtual tours was just to keep me occupied during quarantine. And it succeeded a little better than I expected it to, as far as keeping me busy.
2: I've seen a couple of the mini tours, and they're just just very entertaining. Oh, thank you. Especially if you have any Chicago background, it's like very nostalgic, because you also bring up the, you know, what was there as opposed to what is there now. Right.
1: Speaking of the COVID-19, how's that affected you? Well, you've talked a little bit about business-wise, but, you know, personally, and uh, what do you look forward
5: to after it's all over? Well, I look forward forward to going to concerts again. That's one of my bigger things. I miss concerts. I miss shows. I miss traveling. I miss New York terribly this year. Uh, You know, normally in the spring, I'm there a couple of months. I miss my school groups.
1: Esther did ask you what you got in the future. Is there any more books in your future as far as writing different things like that with uh, like other other than Graceland?
5: Well, I've got a script written for a graphic novel called The Butts of Justice. It's about Churchill and Taft sailing around in a flying bathtub, uh, teaching anti-conspiracy theory techniques, uh, to, you know, info literacy, how to battle conspiracy theorists. And I really just kind of wrote it as a joke. But increasingly, I read the news and I, the world needs their butts, you know.
2: Was that one that you started a long time ago?
5: It was a few years ago that I wrote the first draft of it. But I read it recently like, yeah, this holds up.
2: <laughs> That's happening to a lot of artists right now. They're revisiting old stuff, really realizing that it is relevant. Yeah. Larry, do you remember Les Bracken? That was the same thing that you know he wrote a song 15 years ago that applies right now.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Well, and even even uh, one the people who write our theme show, they did a song called uh, Coronavirus, Virus," you know, and it, they actually sing it. And it's kind of very jazzy and artsy, but it's sort of funny at how people are adapting yeah. to that. And we've done shows where we've actually talked to artists about how they're how they're adapting to it, and some are you know, actually flourishing in the, uh, the thing and others are not. So it's kind of an yeah. interesting thing.
2: It's kind of wonderful for you that way, because you can have somebody check in from all over the world. So.
5: Right. I get I get people checking in from Australia. You know, they're, not, they're probably not going to come there to Chicago just to take a cemetery tour. But when they can do one from the comfort of their bathroom, why not? <laughs> or in the middle of the night, right? <laughs> how do you know how many people? Do you have
1: a way of tracking
5: how many people follow your tours online? Uh, yeah, it'll say when I'm broadcasting up in the top corner. It'll say how many people are watching at a given time. Like just today, we had about 250 people watching. It was funny because I was walking down the street. And this uh, woman opened her door and said, "What are you doing? Taking pictures of these houses?" <laughs> <laughs> like I got 250 people staring at you, lady. <laughs> I should, I should have said I'm looking for places to loot, but it's okay. Your stuff all looks like crap. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Excellent. So um, you, you just I, I see in your bio, you describe it as kind of a smart alecky novels that you've written about the history. So uh, tell me about that writing style.
5: Well, it, it doesn't, I don't use it in every book, but usually my style of writing is very conversational. I want to work in jokes as much as I can. Um, I don't really like dry histories that much. They tend to be, I tend to like try to write the way that I talk. If a joke occurs to me, I'll put it in. The one exception is the H.H. H. Holmes book where I felt like it would have been in kind of poor taste to throw in jokes most of the time. I worked a couple in, but in the uh, paperback edition, there's an afterword where I talk about working on the TV shows and stuff that I did in my usual voice. What's, what is so your
1: usual? What is your usual yeah. voice? Let us about, hear. Your...
5: About like I'm about like I'm talking right now.
1: And then, what's so your tour is, voice?
5: Like with, well, yeah, the tour, my, voice? the tour voice is similar. Yeah. Um,
2: so, in how to get suspended, how much is <laughs> real and how much is made up?
5: <laughs> oh, it's mostly made up.
2: <laughs> so that's not mom and dad in there, really.
5: No, well, I'm. I'm not. I'm not so much like the kid in the book as I'm like his parents, really. <laughs> The recipes is what was really funny. Oh, the recipes. But yeah, for, for those who don't know, in a few of my young adult novels, There are um, about a kid named Leon whose parents are what they call food disaster hobbyists. They, take, they find the worst cookbooks from the 1950s they can, the most disgusting recipes, then cook them and eat them to make fun of them. It's kind of like, like watching bad movies on purpose, except half the time you get diarrhea. Well, I'll tell you what, we're,
1: uh, we appreciate you coming on Art in the Air. Tell us all your website addresses, Adam, and where to go and how to find you.
5: Now, the easiest thing is just go to AdamChicago.com. That'll link you to pretty much everything. The real parties are happening on uh, Facebook.com slash Mysterious Chicago. Thank you. We appreciate you coming on
1: Art on the Air. That's Adam Seltzer, and he does tours in Chicago. And you can find him at those addresses. Thank you for being on Art on the Air. Thank you. Thank you. And we'd like to thank our guests today for being on Art on the Air, which is heard every Friday at 11 a.m., reproadcast Monday at 5 p.m., and Sunday at 7 p.m., on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. Your hosts are Larry Breckner and Esther Golden. Thanks again to Greg Kovach, WVLP's station manager, and Tom Maloney, vice president, radio operations for Lakeshore Public Radio. Underwriters for Art in the Air are Valparaiso University's Brouwer Museum and Walt Breitinger of Paragon Investments. Also, Mary LeVan is our art patron supporter. Art in the Air is supported by the Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant and the National Endowment for the Arts. If you're interested in being a guest, or send us information about your arts, arts related event, exhibit, please email us at art on the air, wvlp at gmail.com. That's art on the air, wvlp at gmail.com. See you right here next week, 103.1 FM and 89.1 FM, Art on the Air.
2: Aloha, everyone. Have a splendid week.
0: Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Mary. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Mary and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart, especially...